This is Miss Val, the author of Life is Short, Don't Wait to Dance, and I am on After the Glory with Gary Stern and Lucy Singh. Hey, this is James Oney on After the Glory with Gary Stern and Lucy Singh. Hi, this is Derek Cox, and it's been a pleasure being here on After the Glory with Gary Stern and Lucy Singh. What do Hall of Fame gymnastics coach Valerie Condos field? Football's Derek Cox and baseball's James Loney have in common? They all appeared on After the Glory. This is Gary Stern, and along with Lucy Sang, we thank Miss Val, Derek, and James for helping us kick off another season of conversations with elite athletes who prove once again that the traits of personality and character that made them elite athletes are the same ones that allow them to establish lives of meaning and purpose once their playing days are over. Lucy and I created this podcast because we are admirers of elite athletes and the challenges they face in making that often difficult transition at a young age to new challenges. After all, imagine the commitment, often since childhood, it takes to become the best in a sport, but then the realization that your time at the top of the mountain is so fleeting. So much of your life is ahead of you. What Lucy and I have found is that these elite athletes are elite people with stories we know you will find inspiring. We hope you enjoy this edition of After the Glory. Welcome to another edition of After the Glory. This is Gary Stern along with my co-host, my new mom co-host, Lucy Singh. <laughs> and today our guest on After the Glory is in our continuing series on great UCLA athletes one of the finest cornerbacks that UCLA ever produced. His name is Alteron Werner, uh, now age 33, grew up in Southern California, went to Mayfair High School in Lakewood, uh, played at UCLA then after a star career in high school uh, at UCLA from 2006 to 2010, drafted in the fourth round of the NFL draft by the Tennessee Titans, played with them from 2010 to 13, Tampa Bay Buccaneers from 2014 to 16 and completed his career with the Miami Dolphins in 2017, although he officially took retirement on a one-day contract so he could retire as a Tennessee Titan in 2019. Alteron is one of those really special individuals who was an amazing athlete, not just in football, but in other sports such as track and field. And um, basketball. And basketball. <laughs> But, when, but but at the same time, not only did not shirk his duties in the classroom, but was truly a star in the classroom, an academic um, uh, superlative All-American. And uh, with his pro career now done, he is a teacher. He is a philanthropist. He is Alteron Werner. Welcome, Alteron. Good to have you. Thank you for having me. I, I appreciate you guys uh, considering mm -hmm. me this opening so uh, oh, thank you we're, very much. We're, we're happy to have you and uh, uh, first of all Lucy how are you feeling oh I'm pretty good a little light on the hours of sleep but very very blessed and uh, Bruin community has definitely stepped up and checked in with me throughout this uh, pregnancy and the delivery and now having a baby in my arms <laughs> you know you know Alteron uh, uh, the show is called after the glory and one of the things I hardly ever ask uh, our guests is when did, did you start your family after your career was over or while you were in, in the arena? That was when I was playing. Yeah, yeah. And how old are your kids now? I got four. 
So one is eight, one is six, one is four, and one is two. So you you know what Lucy's going through, and uh, he knows uh, it well. <laughs> there, you, there you go. Um, yeah, <laughs> a- athletics clearly came naturally to you uh, in the time when we all sort of follow athletics from high school on. But um, every guest we've ever talked to, they start young, they develop a passion for their sport early on. How about yourself? Tell us about your early days and how you came to uh, sports generally. Yeah, my dad started sending me in when I was about six. And um, when I was six years old, he put me in a barrage of sports. I played uh, football, played basketball, ran track. He tried me out for baseball. He tried me out for everything. And it, it was just the ones that stuck is the ones that I continued to play. But as far as football, I played flag football when I was six. Started playing tackle football when I was seven and then just progressed wow. from there. I wonder if they even allow seven year olds to play tackle football anymore. Now that, you know, we're talking like 20 years later, right? 25 years later. Huh. They, they do. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Let me ask you this. When, uh, when did you know that uh, uh, you, you were, this was something you wanted to do? Something that, uh, was it by the time you got to high school or did you even know before? that this is something you want to do is to get into sports as a career? So it, it was a lot of ebb and flows for um, for that. So when I was young, before high school, I for sure wanted to go to the NFL, play mm-hmm. Madden, all this stuff. It, I was just under the impression, if you were good, you make the NFL. So definitely when I was younger, I definitely wanted to be in the NFL. Then I got to high school started to realize towards the end of my high school career how hard it was to just get a one scholarship. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, there's 118 or 100 and something colleges, and it was a struggle to get a couple. <laughs> and so I'm like, well, there's only 30-some teams, and me being a math major, I mean, a math person, I'm like, well, the odds seem like it's going to be even less for the NFL. So that's why I went to UCLA, because I'm – they were strong academically. It was a school I always wanted to go to, but I didn't necessarily pick UCLA thinking I was going to go to the NFL. And things just kind of lined up and it allowed me at UCLA to be able to go to the NFL. So when I was younger, for sure, then it went off and then it came back. <laughs> so when in college did you feel like you had a shot in the NFL? Because obviously getting to college was a struggle in itself but you succeeded and you actually excelled both academically and athletically was there a point in which someone told you hey you need to be training for the NFL or was there something that clicked in you that you were like I can actually do this even though the odds aren't great I think it was after my during my sophomore year so my freshman year I played I played well um, I had a lot of opportunities. I think it was my sophomore year. I made a couple plays. The biggest one was that Cal game against Deshaun Jackson. And so I think when that started happening, then it started to kind of become more of a realization that, like, I've been having this type of success. If I can build on this, that I should have a good shot. So I would even say after my freshman year, I'll say that the seed was planted kind of my sophomore year. Let's go back to um, academics. Uh, you were a suburban league academic, all league honors. You completed high school with a 4.17 GPA. And here's the one that blows me away. You earned a 740 out of 1800 on the SAT. 1740. Seven, 1740 out of 1800. That just doesn't happen. Um, 
where was the inspiration for success in the classroom? Your parents, a teacher, where, where did it happen? It was my parents. My mom was a, a big driving force as far as academics went. She even threatened me when I was in college that if I didn't have enough grades that she was going, she was going to pull my couch. <laughs> so uh, it, it was my mom. But early on, the thing that I realized was uh, two things in kindergarten. My, my dad used to give us like a little bit of money based off our grades. Like if you got an A, you got this amount, B, you got this amount. So in my head, I was like, well, if I got all A's, that's the most amount of money I can get. So I did it for that at first. And then I started to realize all these praises and awards you get for getting good grades. So then it started to build in, oh, it's kind of cool to get good grades. And that's kind of how it started when I was young, young, and just Amen. carried on. Positive well, reinforcement, huh? There you go. Let's, let's talk about the student athlete with the emphasis on the student part and how challenging that is in college uh, when we come back uh, after this short break. On After the Glory, this is Gary Stern with Lucy Sang and our guest, Alteron Werner. We'll be back. Hello, this is Dean, third-generation owner of Sarah Leonard Fine Jewelers. We are located near UCLA in the heart of Westwood Village, where we have been since 1946. For 74 years, my family has stood for the highest standards of knowledge and integrity and are proud members of the prestigious American Gem Society. But it is our personal touch that truly makes us a cut above. Client relationships last for decades and generations. With six UCLA alumni, the family has supported UCLA for decades, including the famous Sarah Leonard Jewelers Watch Giveaway. For diamonds and colored gems, designer collections and estate jewelry, watches, custom design, and gorgeous gifts starting under $100, it's all here at Sarah Leonard Fine Jewelers. Mention the code GLORY and get 20% off your first purchase, plus a 10% UCLA discount on all future purchases. Call 310-208-3131 today for your appointment or visit us at sarahleonardjewelers.com. Free parking available. Again, call 310-208-3131, use the code GLORY and experience the Sarah Leonard difference for yourself. We're back on After the Glory. This is Gary Stern with new mom Lucy Sang and our guest Alteron Werner. Um, Alteron you know, the average fan, the average cynical fan, uh, sometimes looks the other way with the phrase student athlete. And we know from history, uh, and even with perhaps improvements in, in compliance and things like that nowadays, we know that sometimes, um, you know, athletes don't spend as much time in the classroom. A lot of times, especially in the sports like football and basketball, they're not given the time to excel in the classroom. Um, but ultimately, I suspect it's a matter of emphasis, priority, and choice. Was that for you the way to look at it? Not what time they're giving you, but what you do with your time uh, that mattered in terms of academics? Oh, for sure. For sure. And it is all priority. I think I established a, a pretty good routine when I was in high school, especially when I had my AP classes on it, all that stuff. I actually thought um, time-wise, you had less time in high school than you actually did in college. So I actually thought we had more time just that the courses were more difficult in college. So that's where it kind of balanced off. But I know um, I told a lot of people, especially because my high school math teacher just retired, so I was talking to him the other day, and uh, he used to just always tell me, like, yeah, you played sports, you did that, but you never complained, you never did this and that. I was like, well, my mindset was when I got home, I did all my homework first. If I wanted to watch TV, if I wanted to go hang out with my friends, I had to finish all my homework first. So because I knew if I got started on the other stuff that I would never go back to my homework. 
So it was like in my mind, I just built that in like, okay, I'm gonna do work first, play later. And that really helped me out with my time management. So it, it is a priority. If you prioritize getting your work done and you can get it done, you just gotta have that mindset. And, and, and aside from the time management, was the college experience all you hoped it would be? I, I, I asked that because I remember in my college days at UCLA were 73 to 77. And uh, I remember kidding Bill Walton at one point, I said to him, you know, you can't walk around campus just because of who you are and that everybody knows you. I would imagine playing a sport with a helmet on that, that, that protects your face, that except for the linemen who are six foot six and 300 and people know who they are, that the cornerbacks and the other uh, athletes uh, in football can pretty much get through college and not, uh, you know, be able to walk, brew and walk and so forth without being noticed. Was was your college career one where you could be a student and just enjoy the campus? Oh, yeah, because, um, I mean, I was pretty low-key anyway. I didn't really go out and do too much when I was, I was there, but I say that and also say that I, I enjoyed my college career. I mean, I wanted to go to UCLA. I would not trade it for the world, even though we didn't win as much as I wanted to from the people I got to meet, such as Lucy and everybody that I got to run into. Um, and just interacting with the different people that I was able to interact with. I mean, I enjoyed it. But yes, um, even when it comes to NFL, I've always never had like a a thing where people just attacking me or like trying to shake my hand and stuff because of the helmet and I wasn't an offensive player so I didn't do commercials and I didn't do all that so people didn't recognize me but then I'll see other people especially um, on those things like a Chris Johnson when I was with the Titans and stuff like those people stick out and I'm like man it gotta suck a little bit to not be able to go to a movie theater and be able to enjoy or go to a restaurant with your family because you got people hounding you but I understand because I was a fan too so I understand when those people come up but I didn't have to deal with that especially at UCLA I, I can just you know, skirt by because uh, you know I wasn't tall enough to be a basketball player or a volleyball player so <laughs> so well, I was limited in what I could be <laughs> I, I gotta add that you know not only is Alteron not a flashy person he's also an extremely humble person I think that that really makes a difference like he wasn't trying to show the community who he was and eventually I remember I met Alteron on wooden in the wooden center on the basketball court and he was just another dude playing basketball in my mind for a long time and it took me a while to realize he was that guy I was screaming at in the field when <laughs> you know that we're trying to get a tackle or something it, it never clicked to me because that's not his personality speaking of which Alteron you were saying how you felt like in college you had a little more time tell us about what you did in your pastime well you know how we met and and playing basketball and all the extracurriculars that you were doing that people don't realize student athletes can do oh yes i i i love basketball i played in the nfl but if i had different trajectory i would have definitely probably tried to be an nba player I never, I worked way more at football than I did basketball, but I love playing it. So like the Wooden Center, I used to be there all the time. Me and my friend Toby, um, we used to be regulars in there and I met a lot of people um, like Lucy. And um, that was really a good social place for me because there's people to this day that I still talk to that I used to just play basketball in the Wooden with. And um, so that's one big thing I did. I loved going to the movies. So I used to go down the street to our Westwood Village. They used to have the premieres and all the other stuff. Uh, me and my friends would be waiting out there at 11 o'clock at night, waiting for the, the midnight uh, showing. 
and I got to run into a couple of celebrities like Christina Milian and some other people was out there. So um, those are probably the two big things I did. Sometimes I play video games, um, but not that much because, like I said, I was, you know, studying most of those times. But I'll say movies, Whittington were like two big past times I did. I've always um, wanted to ask you actually, Alteron, how did you get into wheelchair basketball? That was because you were the one who introduced me to wheelchair basketball. That was that was one of the biggest experiences of my life, for sure. I think I just seen them playing one time in Woody and just walked over an aisle. And then they said, oh, you can try. And I remember they whooped my butt the first mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, yeah, it, it was a very humbling experience because, you know, me being an athlete and doing what I can do on the court or football, like I'm used to being one of the better people, but I was like the worst in the wheelchair. They was flying by me. I was like, how are they going so fast? And then they're shooting, <laughs> I'm airballing. And so it was very humbling, but that's what I loved about it. It was humbling. And then they knew I was being humbled by it. And uh, so then I just, anytime I saw it, I tried to play. Well, awesome. our, our guests should know that uh, during all that, all that fun time, Alteron managed to be first team All-American in 2009, All-Pac-10 in 2009, second team All-Pac-10 2008, Pac-10 co-freshman of the year in 2006. In other words, Alteron Werner was a UCLA star. Uh, when we come back, we'll talk a little about the pro game and uh, what Alteron is doing now. When we come back on After the Glory, Gary Stern here with Lucy Sang and our guest, Alteron Werner. Hey, this is Lucy Sang from Resiliency Coaching. I am a certified mental performance coach focused on working with athletes transitioning into life after the glory days of sports. I help like-minded people become high performers and thrive in all areas of life. My goal is to serve as your accountability partner and offer different perspectives as you make tough decisions. Learn more about me on Instagram at resiliency underscore coaching, R-E-S-I-L-I-E-N-T-S-E-E -E -E underscore coaching. And thanks for tuning in to After the Glory. And we're back on After the Glory. Gary Stern here with Lucy Singh and our guest, Alteron Werner. One of the things I didn't cover with the Alteron, and I really am curious about this because I think it's, it's something you don't see a whole lot, is, you, of course, everybody, you, you see athletes who are multi-sport, and, and then they choose one sport. Um, but we often don't ask how the experience in the other sport elevates the game for the player who then chooses to go on in one particular sport. In your case, it was track and field. Uh, and you were not just sort of a, a participant. You won a silver medal in the 1500 meters at the 1997 California State Games. You were fourth in the uh, 2000 and uh, US ATF Youth Nationals in the four by 100 relay. Um, how did track and field, how did the experience of competition in that area aid you and help you in football? Uh, it helped uh, tremendously. One, just from a running standpoint, conditioning standpoint, gave me a shape for football was a big reason why I did track. And um, I like to always share this one story about track that really encompassed a lot about my life, not only from football, but just in general. So believe it or not, I did not want to run track when I first started when I was eight years old. I did everything in my power to get kicked off the team without like hurting people. But we had a four lap warm up. I used to walk it. So people would be done. I would just be on my second lap. 
Um, people would be doing their drills. I'll just stand there. And I remember my coach told me one time, uh, you know, you don't have to be here. And so I was like, okay. And I'll start walking out. And then I see my dad sitting up at the top. I'm like, oh, that's not going to end well. So I go back. So after all this, this happened a couple of days. So then my dad looked at me one time before practice and was like, Alton, I understand you don't like it, but you haven't gave me any effort. He was like, can you try hard one day in practice? And if you don't like it, you don't have to do it again. And I was like, you know what, Dad, I can do that. I can give you one effort and I'll see what happens. I kid you not, this coming practice, I do my four lap warm up with everybody. I'm starting to do drills. It started pouring down rain. Started raining. Our coach said, okay, we don't have practice. Everybody started leaving. I'm still doing high knees in the warm up area. And I was like, coach, it's just a little bit of rain. We can keep going. He looked at me like I was possessed. I'm the kid that tried everything to get out of practice, and I'm telling him to come back because in my head I was like, I told my dad I'm going to give him this day. I'm going to do everything I can. So he brought everybody back. Everybody was probably mad at me. Started doing the high knees, and then a few seconds later, rain stopped, and it was a big rainbow that came across the sky. And then from that day on, I was like, okay, I'm going to give it my all. I'm going to work hard. And if something happens, then I can say, okay, it's not for me. But I'm not going to give up if I don't put all my effort into it. And that's the lesson that I learned that day. And I kid you not, that's a, that's a true story. That very next day, the rain, all that experience happened. And then after that, then I had the track career that I had. Every so often there's a sign. Every so often <laughs> there's a sign. Um, you know what's interesting is, is and one of the things that I'm, curious about is in in the transition from the college game to the pro game with all the accomplishments in college um, we tend to forget the competition for that next level um, there are lots and lots of Ultron burners all over the country in the combine in the process of transition how do you stand out um, that leads to that first NFL contract. How do you, how do you show them that you should be a player that is drafted and drafted high? So for me, um, in general, I've never been like the most highly athletic person as far as like people that play football. I was athletic, but I wasn't like the highest jumper. I wasn't the fastest person. So me, as far as like combine pro day, it wasn't like I was going to go out there and just set it on fire. That wasn't my, my game. My game was more intellectual. So it was when I met with teams, showing them I was able to grasp the playbook. I knew other positions, what they were supposed to do. And even when I made mistakes, owning up to my mistakes, saying what I could have did better, things like that was the ways that I tried to impress teams, mostly. Because I knew I wasn't going to be like the fastest 40. I just need to run an okay 40 and, and stuff like that. But it was more just the intellectual part, knowing that I knew what to do. I knew my assignments. <laughs> Uh, that's interesting. Are are there guys who are incredibly athletic that fall by the wayside because they can't grasp the playbook because they can't get because people forget that that playbook oh my is, goodness. is the most unbelievable thing harder ever. than calculus, right, Alteron? <laughs> it, it can it can be. Yeah, there's there's plenty of people I know who are the fastest most athletic and jump out the gym, but they, they, they didn't know what to line up. They didn't know what the coverages were. They didn't know that the coverage switch when this thing happened. And if the coach can't trust you, they can't put you out there. So, uh, yeah, 
Al, can you enlighten us a little bit in terms of, like we all talk about the physical ability of athletes, but can you enlighten us what it takes to literally learn that playbook and go through film and stuff like that? Most of us are not privy to that side of being an, a pro athlete. What, what does it take? How many hours, like what are you doing to learn that p- playbook and memorize these plays and, and kind of get it in your blood? Well, I think it's the same way I just approached uh, academics is that you you have your workbook or your study book, you're going through the examples, you're going through the things in the book, but then if something happens and you fall short, asking questions or get something clarified. Okay, well, if this situation happens, what do I need to do? So with me, I studied it at least an hour a day. And then if something came across that I didn't know, I would go to my coaches and say, well, what happens in this situation? And I was just really big on asking questions to a fault sometimes because sometimes coaches didn't know or stuff like that but I was very inquisitive and just really wanted to know so um that's the big thing that I was out about right when I got the playbook every night I needed to put some work in amen and uh you know what let's uh talk about the NFL and life after the NFL uh because those, those are I think that transition of course is what we are fascinated by here on after the glory when we come back on After the Glory with Lucy saying Gary Stern and Alteron Werner. This is Daryl Wayne here to talk to you about the co-creator and co-host of After the Glory, Woodland Hills lawyer Gary Stern. When Gary's not talking to elite athletes, you can usually find him doing what he's been doing for almost 45 years, navigating the world of government. As a college student and young professional, Gary helped folks deal with federal and state agencies through his work as a caseworker with a local congressman and state senator. That work prepared Gary for a career as a consumer lawyer. Today, Gary still helps people in all walks of life, but his passion nowadays is his service as a mediator, mostly in cases like the ones he's been handling for over four decades, where people have been injured in accidents or in connection with their employment. You can learn more about Stern Law, the law offices of Gary N. Stern at his website, www.sternlaw.org, that's S-T-E-R-N. Or you can call him at 818-710-2717, that's 818-710-2717. And we're back on After the Glory for one final segment with Altron Werner. This is Gary Stern and Lucy Singh. Um, Altron, you played, uh, looks like four years, five years with the in the NFL. Um, Tennessee Titans were, were clearly your team, the, the team that you identify with. Um, and you had some great years. You were second team All-Pro in 2013. You played in the Pro Bowl game. Um, you had great success. We were talking off the air about something, and I'd like you to amplify on it a little bit. The sport can be violent. Injuries are a part of it. But the structure of the NFL appears to favor uh, the first and second year player, and that getting a second contract is is really uh, a challenge for all but a few who play the game. Is that something you know going in? Do you think to yourself, I've got a five-year plan and that's kind of it? Or do you hope for a long career in the NFL, like a baseball player who plays 15, 20 years? I think everybody's hope is to have a long career, but I know going into it, I did not know about the difficulty in getting a second contract. Like people have said it, but I guess me just being naive, I used to always just think, well, you know, the best people play. So if I'm better than this person, then I'm going to play. 
but it is a business, a, a political side to it. And those first rookie contracts are four-year contracts. So after you get out of that, you cannot make that rookie salary anymore. So you're going to be next up in the pay scale. So if that team does not think that you are irreplaceable, then they are going to replace you with another rookie that they can lock into a contract for four years. And then after that rookie contract, most of the time you get smart. So then you don't sign a four-year contract. You sign a one-year contract because you're saying, okay, then I, I want to get more money the following year. So it's like, so it's all these different things that happen after that rookie contract that makes it a lot more difficult to get on the team unless you're just an exceptional person or you have a connection to somebody or this and that. So it's a lot of that. And when the, and when the career was coming to an end, um, one of the things that, that we've always been curious about on this show is you're barely 30 years old, you're in your late 20s, and the career is coming to an end in the sport, the sport you've been playing since you were a kid. And when you're in the college game, especially a major D, uh, Division One team and then the pro game, Sundays or Saturdays you're playing in front of 30, 40, 50, or more thousand people. The cheering can be deafening. The adrenaline rush must be incredible. When you leave the game, is that something that takes getting used to, no longer having that competitive fire, no longer having that crowd cheering? What's that translation like? What was it like for you? Uh, it wasn't that bad because everything about me wasn't just football. So me leaving, it wasn't that bad. And then I knew that that was kind of the progression. It wasn't like I was playing at, a, at you know, peak performance and then I got hurt and that's why my my career ended. It's like it, it kind of was gradual. I kind of knew it was going to happen. So it wasn't really a big shock or anything of adjustment for me. And um, I still do a lot of things that are competitive. I play in the adult basketball leagues when I can get to it. Um, I golf now. And that's so I, I feel that competitiveness with other avenues um, right now. And tell our listeners what you're doing. Uh, when you got out of uh, football, you obviously went into a very, very uh, needed area of society and life. Tell us what you're doing. I'm a, I'm a math teacher. I actually uh, just finished my last two years at a school called Todd Academy here in Corona, California. And I'm actually going to be moving to Corona um High School, and I'm going to be teaching there, but I'm, I'm a math teacher. Where That's, are you moving to, Alderhead? I'm going to Corona Centennial. Okay. Cool. Very good. And what? And you teach uh, calculus and trigonometry, things like that? So right now I'm like the basic. So I'm at like algebra, geometry. Oh, you're teaching um, the elementary grades? Middle uh, school grades. Well, middle school high grade. school. Middle school. Middle school. Very good. Very good. And what else do you do? I know you do some philanthropy and some other things. Tell us a little about that. Yeah, I used to partner with a group called Athletes for Charity, and we still do things here and there. Um, but going into schools, um, giving away books and, and things like that, really trying to get kids to understand the importance of reading and being in, in the books because uh, a lot of people, you know, are athletes and they just think, okay, I can just play the sport and realize that um, being a student first not only would make you eligible to play, but it really holds a lot of other benefits because I really don't think I would have got my scholarship to UCLA if it wasn't because I was a good student because I think Coach Darrell trusted me because he saw that I was a good student in the classroom and knew that they didn't have to worry about me when I got to school. 
And so I try to tell a lot of people, like, don't let academics be the reason why you can't play. So yeah. how about you put an emphasis on it? It, it, it is a, it's a remarkable uh, reminder to everybody that um, sports need not be the only thing one thinks about when they are an elite athlete. And you really uh, gave the truth to that uh, statement. Uh, as you look ahead at life, what kind of things do you still want to accomplish uh, looking forward at, at an a, a enriching life that you clearly have? Uh, I continue want to want to teach. The big reason I wanted to teach is because I wanted to give back to the youth. And I know math was always a subject that most people struggle with. So I just wanted to hopefully make a difference in one or two lives or more in that area and try to help them out. I eventually want to end up coaching, coaching football. Um, once uh-huh. my little get a little ha- bit bigger. Yeah, I was going to say, so, you, uh, you have a I squad wanna... at home yourself. <laughs> Yeah. Do do you do you think NIL is going to have uh, any impact on the priority aspects that we've been talking about? Do you think NIL is going to have any impact on that? Oh, I think so. Um, because when you throw money in, in, into anything, uh, it's going to change. It's going to change stuff. So it, it's definitely going to be an impact, and hopefully, it's a, a good impact for our side. Yeah. No, I hope so. Lucy, any final thoughts? Well, I just want to. Thank Alteron for making time. Obviously, he's got a busy family and also just a lot going on outside of everything. And, you know, I appreciate that we've been able to stay in touch over these past couple of years. One of the things about like the athlete world and the non athlete world is sometimes there's that divide. But Alteron is one of those true people who never, you know, saw the difference. It was just cool to everybody that he's ever cross paths with and that's that's something that I think people who aren't in the sports world should really know that there are people there are athletes who are just as good of people outside of being an athlete as well and so. uh Ultron you you make UCLA proud uh and uh as part of our series of UCLA athletes we thank you so much for being with us um we will uh thank our uh, team in our next uh, moment uh, to close out the show um Thanks a lot, all. Take care. Go Bruins. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yep. Go Bruins. Lucy and I hope you enjoyed this edition of After the Glory. As we leave you until next time, we want to thank our team. Our producer, Mark Allen. Executive producer from Podclips, Mike Anderson. And our sound engineer and editor, the insane Daryl Wayne. We are also grateful for music by T. Dan Hofstead. And as we close out this episode of After the Glory, we honor our guest with our theme song, written and sung by my brother in baseball, T. Dan, the master of music from the islands and the slack key guitar. Until next time, stay safe, healthy, and athletic. Living the dream on a shooting star. Hometown crowd cheering what you are. Living large and riding. Back in the day, so young and strong, work or play, you can do no wrong. But when that fight is through, what you gonna do? Hey, hey, what's your story? What you gonna do after the glory? Step back and take